we're here. Can you guys believe it? No. Episode 305. It's an exercise. Five and I'm feeling alive. <laughs> yes, I did it. Every episode, and I we're as shocked enough. as anyone that we're still here. Yep. <clears throat> How are you? Oh, I'm, do- I'm doing well. I'm, uh... Yesterday, yesterday you said you were... <laughs> Wait, what was it? Surviving, not thriving. Yes, surviving, not thriving. Is that how you feel today, or what? Do, what do you feel? I, well, I got a good night's sleep, so I feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I did some of my uh, final, you know, presentations and class and stuff, and so that checked the box. And you know, I'm on the come down from that adrenaline rush from all the stuff I had to do. So yeah, yeah. What are you feeling about as you? Move into your final stages here of your. Oh, Suze, thanks for asking. Program. Oh man, it's a mixed bag of emotion, really. You know, there's. I, I'm starting to see, like, I have this. I, you can call it a bad habit, I guess, of uh, really not wanting a good thing to end. So, when I have a book I really love, sometimes I won't read the last like five pages mm-hmm. because I don't want it to end. And I'm like, no, I'm still, I still love these characters. I have to still. You know, so like the story can't be over. Yeah. And I can feel myself. We have this countdown calendar in our uh, clinic. And so I can see as the days go down. And you'd think that that would start making me excited and like, oh, I only have this much more time left. But as the countdown, you know, gets smaller, I'm like, oh no, I like start to panic because I'm like, oh God, real life. I can't just say, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm in school right now. I have to actually go out. Yeah, when you're <laughs> in grad start school, working. it's like Narnia. And you're in there. It totally is. And everybody's living their lives around you, but you're in just stuck in this moment. Mm. <clears throat> oh, and brain candy brainiacs out there. I was telling Susie just the other day how impressed I am with her, how she did it all pregnant and in the snow and climbing <laughs> stairs and, you know, when her husband was away traveling. Mm. And so. I don't recommend mad that. Mad props. I don't either. I mean, I can't imagine. I barely recommend going, period. <laughs> I get it now. I mean, education's important. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much. But I'm envious of you, man. though, because I had a different situation. So I don't even think anyone acknowledged when I finished my master's. Mm. It was just like another day, truly. And I'm, I, would, I feel like everybody oh. should get that feeling of like completion and celebration. Yeah. <laughs> I missed out on that. You did, yeah. What a ripoff. Oh, I could man. have at least gotten yeah, some the... like bottomless tostada chips from Chili's or something. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the thing I'm looking forward to the most about graduating <laughs> is the um, the plan to have a dim sum Chinese lunch, yeah. like Chinese lunch, at you know with a lazy Susan. Isn't that sad? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't wait for that. But actually graduating, I'm like, yeah, what else? Mm, man, well. Yeah. Carry on with your bad self. I, I hope it's a seamless finish to the end. Yeah, there. I'm starting to put my feelers out there for like private practice work. So <clears throat> well, hopefully somebody, you know, thinks that, that I'm, I'm worthy of joining their, their squad. Yeah, are you hireable? We don't know. I'm hoping so. Question mark. I'm at least, uh, they at least know that I can do a podcast or a try. <laughs> I know we have no discernible skills. Yeah, three hundred and five episodes proof of that. <laughs> it was oh, funny man. when I was uh, doing my presentation in class. People were like, "Are you nervous? You're going to have to talk for like two hours." I'm like, "I've talked for three hundred and five hours. I think we're good." <laughs> right. It's hard when there's no banter, though. Oh, that's true. But I create it no matter where I go. So. <laughs> right. Well, 
Let's get brainy. Let's get candy. Let's do it. Are people sending you some good articles? Mm, not lately, actually. I feel like I need to do like a call to action for that because I've, I've noticed a dip as well. And I'm like, are people just busy with their own lives? God, I mean, imagine that. So- or is the news <laughs> no. boring? Are there no poo stories out there? Okay, okay. Well, truth be told, I, I shouldn't say no because I would say we get a few a handful each week. We did happen to get one uh, recommendation from a gal named Jen who <laughs> was like... Basically, Susie and Sarah, read this article or Google this person and you will be creeped out beyond belief. And it was a guy oh, yeah, called... yes. Did you read it? No, no, no. But I love anything yeah. that starts like that. <laughs> uh, there's in. a guy called Danny LaPlante and he's he was arrested eventually for murdering people. But the, okay. the thing is that that's not even the... But that's not it. (laughs) That's not all. He uh, evidently, before he murdered people, had become obsessed with this girl, this young, Mm -hmm. I don't know, teenager, his age. And um, he took her out on a date, but he had lied to her about the way he looked. Like, he had said, I'm, you know, tall, blonde, and all-American athlete or something. And then he shows up at her door, and he's like a greasy, lanky, kind of like, low life type yeah and uh so she went out with him but you know how you make a bit an excuse and you head home early she did that yeah. but he was not going to give up and he got enough information for her on that from her on that date to basically start haunting her pretending what? to be her dead mom and what knocking like on the wall of her oh fuck that so shit. Her and her sister had done one of those things where what the séance where they yes. try to summon the spirit of their dead mom and the wall no. started knocking. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I I I I have I have chills all over my body. So they thought their dead mom was communicating of with them. Of course you did. And so this went on and on night after night. And uh long story short, eventually they f- discovered him in their house with he was wearing the dead mom's like wedding gown or something. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> And like God. he I think he had a knife in his hand and he had written on all over the walls like marry me or I'm in your house, come find me, all this stuff. And the dad all along thought the daughters were just like troubled by their mom's death and thought that they were doing it oh to themselves. God. So they discover this guy, and then they find in the oh house God. he had all these crawl spaces. He had been living in the walls of their house for months. No. Yes. No. 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 Wouldn't you? I mean, die? I believe it, but holy. Guacamole. I'm not even doing a good job telling the story because it's so the whole story is crazy. But you can Google. I love when you're like, "Well, long story short," and I'm like, "Oh, I can't wait to read the long story on my own time." <laughs> right. My, I think I did a tweet one time where I was like, "You ever notice when someone says long story short, it's always too late?" Yeah, totally. <laughs> my husband is that is totally like that. He always goes, um, oh, "What does he say?" Yeah, he's like, "Long story short," or you know, like. And I'm like, it's you just told me a story for five minutes. You can't say that now, <laughs> right? It's you. It's a long story long. Yeah, long story long. It's <laughs> totally how you should pitch everything. But like this, the thing is that this guy went to jail for or juvie juvie for like 
not that long because he didn't actually kill any of the people in this house that he had been living in. And so oh, then he man. gets out and then he kills all those people. <gasps> yeah. Cuckoo. Well, well the, the, yeah. <laughs> the, I didn't know it ended like that. <laughs> right. Like, that's just the part where after he murdered people, everyone was like, I wait, what's this story about him living in crawl spaces? You know, see, I feel like you. we need to take a look at some uh, behavior that may indicate trouble down the road. <laughs> and this is where the system, I mean, not this is where, the system kind of fails us everywhere, but this is yeah. one of those places where having services afterwards, making sure that mental health is taken care of, like, this guy was clearly, well, and we know he's a juvenile, so yeah. he is, the system's really failing him when he's not getting, you well, know, the services he needs for if you Google his him, own mental health. you can there. read how he had this terrible life and yeah. stuff. Of course. Of course. Of course, but because nobody's like that. I mean, this is clearly attachment injuries in childhood, the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of I have to have somebody or like they'll leave me and then what, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they should have seen those signs and been like, yeah, we should probably keep tabs on this guy. And Although, know. what are you supposed to do? Oh, well, I, I I would blame his parole officer, yeah. like somebody who you're. I mean, I feel like that person who's supposed to be checking in on him and also like maybe making sure if you see already some like violent behavior, or whatever they're going to, you know, uh, uh, what are those meetings like anger management or yeah. they're doing some therapy? Like there should have been some aftercare for this <laughs> child. Can you imagine if you'd done a seance a murderer. and then there was knocking in your walls? I mean, you for sure would think you're being haunted. Hundred percent you know what's so funny is is that's where everybody goes to first is like is there a ghost here remember the the story that yeah. you were saying of the girl at her dorm and yes and she thought it was haunted and she was like <laughs> we'd rather believe Who's that there? and he's like it's me <laughs> um i couldn't stop laughing when i heard that in the episode i'm like it's such a sad scary story wait but what Made imagining you laugh? the guy going it's me <laughs> <laughs> right she's like who's in there and he's like me me oh god the way you said it i was cracking up but oh how scary oh i'll tell you a lot of people know something else that's scary which is super high interest rates am i right it is terrifying you'll be haunted by the nightmare of your bills the average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18 percent apr which is insane and some people don't even notice their interest rate and don't realize that their apr is crazy and Lightstream has a great service where you can refinance your high-interest credit card balances and save on a credit card consolidation loan. And you can get a rate as low as 6.1 for APR with auto pay. You can get a loan between five dollars and $100,000. There's no fees. And the online uh, application is super easy, and you might even get the money the day you apply. So that's really cool. And if you want to save even more, our listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount, though, is to go to lightstream.com slash braincandy, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash braincandy, subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50 auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash braincandy for more information. Oh, <sighs> man. Ah. I know, it's a lot. Um, but... Yeah, so thanks to Jen for sending that. And I do, I, almost every time our listeners send us stories, they're like right on the money of what we're into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like creepy totally. guys that haunt your house or pooping yep. by a principal. Yep. 
Yep. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then also Rhiannon sent one. Um, oh, I love her. She sent this article about, you know, how on Instagram, maybe you don't know this, but some of the quote unquote influencers are actually just like computer generated like people that aren't people. people. <laughs> Yeah, there was one girl who, oh my God, I thought she was so beautiful and so cute. She had freckles. That's her. And yep. And I was like, wow, she looks perfect. And then I found out, not a real human. (laughs) I'm like, this is messed up. That is why people have these fake ideas about these fake lives and they're not even real humans. Yeah. Because like even the real humans you do follow, like that's not what their life looks like in real life. And it's like infomercials for people. Yeah. You're like, ooh, that has all the bells and whistles. That looks like it'll be a great thing. And then you get it and you're like, this is shit. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, the same thing. One thing about it in the article, though, that caught my attention and I wanted to get your opinion was they also, in addition to the gal that you saw, there's like this really beautiful, she looks like um, Lupita Nyong'o. I say your name, Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, yeah. Um, her, mm-hmm. you know, that beautiful, rich, brown skin, and you know, the mm-hmm. person that created it is a white man, and so some oh. women of color are mad. Because- yeah, I'd be mad at that too. Okay, why do you feel mad about it? Because you're taking advantage of, like, oh, you know, I can't even put it into words. Mm-hmm. I'm just like. Not it just okay seems it. wrong. Yeah, it seems really wrong. And it seems like another way of, you know, I, to put it like, I simplify it, like the white man using, you know, a person of color mm-hmm. for their benefit and not the benefit of the community. Yeah, like fetishizing? Yeah. yeah. Yes, totally. Or tokenism. I mean, yes. like the article said some women of color think that it's equivalent to like digital minstrel. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. It feels kind of like, yeah, huh. yeah. It feels like that to me too. Because the people would comment and be like, you know, there's lots of uh, brown-skinned models you could have hired right. instead of creating a computer-generated one. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah. I, I, I never would have thought of it again. This is one of those things where, until someone brings it to your attention, it just doesn't cross your mind. And it's like, wow, there's all these ethical questions about AI. And yeah. uh, including this, like who should you as a white person be able to create digitally and then like promote and all that stuff yeah. profit from? Right. Yeah. That's what I don't like mm-hmm. is that they're, he's, they're profiting from something. And I have, I have a f- strong f- feeling that this person is not doing anything to uh, be an ally in other ways for the black community. And I feel like that is why it feels like icky. Yes, mm-hmm. because you're you're taking somebody's microphone and using it for your own benefit, mm-hmm. not to, you know, help them and be an ally. What's and, crazy is you know. this guy through that account tries to raise money for like Black Lives Matter and stuff, which on one hand is good, but almost made me feel worse about it. Yeah, <laughs> like I just mm. thought, oh, that's even weirder that. He's almost putting that on as a fake thing too. It's just weird. Yeah. But um yeah, it's something to debate about and think about. How about that crazy ass woman that 
Cook got attacked by the jaguar when she tried what? to get a selfie at the Arizona Zoo. Oh my god. She See, they, this is the gold. This is the these are the stories. <laughs> I love this stuff. Do you not know about this? No, I don't. Suze, I I'm telling you, I like <laughs> just You're this morning Narnia. or last night got on 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 uh on, you know, the I was like got online. That, that sounds like an old lady yeah. would say that. <laughs> uh and saw the story about the the schools and the the, you know, mm. moms and parents who are like going to jail so i'm like what is oh, happening in the world right now right so <laughs> i'm way behind well this woman was at the zoo in arizona and really just wanted to get a picture with the you know those beautiful black jaguars yeah. that look like who them. wouldn't want a selfie with sure. one of those flesh ripping beasts how bad do you want it <laughs> right but the crazy thing is somebody took video after she was attacked and her gash was so uh gross and on all over social media and i'm like i don't want to see that well the, the irony that the thing that right that good the, point that it, she, it goes viral her attack is the part that that gets her all the likes and the follows not the actual picture with the jaguar do you think that Pete, it's this is a case of somebody who was just so who needed that content so bad that they were willing to risk their life yeah. or do you think they really were blinded to the point where they didn't even realize that this was risky behavior. Oh, I think it's a combo of the two, but I think both of those are important things to look at. That I, that there's two things going on, like our desire for, um, mm-hmm. you know, like creating this really like this fake image of ourself of like what does that represent to her? Does she want to make it look like she's you know, going to these exotic places and has like, it's usually, you know, money, fame, power, all that. Yeah. And, you know, so what is it? I want to know, like, what's the intention behind the person who's taking it? What do they want to, you know, promote as far as like who they are? There's an upper limit though on how good a selfie can even be. (laughs) Like, even if you got the shot you wanted. Uh, you know, when we we talked a, a while back, you were talking about how there's a, uh, you know, there are now, there's almost like a formula. There's like, okay, you go to the beach, you take this photo, you go to the, you know, mountains, you take this yeah. photo, you go there. It's like, you know, we are, we're like, we have these almost like expected pictures places. Mm-hmm. And I I can't stand that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm we're going up to Yosemite in a couple months uh, and I was thinking about how many people are just going to be missing out on the real beauty of it because they're going to just get that picture, you know, I don't know. I just feel like after all the stories of people who have like fallen off of the waterfalls and done this or something, there's no way that they're really enjoying nature. And if you're really mindful and in the moment and present, then you don't get hurt. You don't do, you don't fall off the edge of a cliff. (laughs) So you're really missing out on like the most beautiful places and the most beautiful things. And she probably didn't take time to look at the beautiful jaguar, to like see it it's in, it, in its environment, to maybe sense that it was about to attack her. <laughs> we're missing a lot of cues that the world is giving us as we're inside of our machines. Yeah, namely the freaking wall they put up to prevent you from going in, you dummy. Yes. Come on. I know. I'm really hoping that the next generation, like, it becomes not cool to, to, you know, kind of how, like, 
helping out the environment is trendy and mm-hmm. wonderful, which is great. And I don't want to say trendy, but like, you know, kids are into it. Yeah. It's like the cool thing. Right. And I hope that the cool thing will be, you know, mindfulness and being present <laughs> versus escaping into your phone. Well, one thing that does actually help the environment is um, recycling. And Rothy's yes. shoes are made of recycled oh. material. They're made of plastic. Yes, ma'am. But you'd never know it. That's what's crazy about it. Like, it's not like I can tell when I look at my no, Rothy's. They're you so, can't. they're chic. And oh, oh, yesterday I spilled like gross Thai fish sauce on my shoe, my white Rothy's. The white ones? Yes. Oh, Sus. But I threw them in the wash, and that's the crazy thing. They came out, and they're still perfect. You cannot tell everything cleaned up, and that's what's amazing about Rothy's. They look great, and they're comfortable, but you can throw them in the wash. These are a lifesaver. Yeah, that is great. Um, they have all different colors and patterns. They're always changing up the styles, um, and it really will blow your mind that they're made of recycled plastic because you'd think those are going to be ugly. They're so cute. We love our Rothy's. We know you will too. And right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code BRAINCANDY to get free shipping with no minimum, free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoe. And trust me, you won't return them. Go to rothys.com. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S.com. And enter BRAINCANDY to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. No brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable. And free shipping. Get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com. Promo BRAINCANDY. Get the deal while it lasts. Um, Okay. Yeah, she's dumb. Yeah. Jaguar Jaguar <laughs> one, lady zero. Yeah, I feel like nature one million humans. <laughs> the Darwin Awards. Zero. Yeah. Um, okay. What else did I want to share with you? Oh, there mm. was like something on my list. Oh, I, this is stupid. But I was just talking to Adam the other day about, um, you know how they always say like if you had one superpower, what will it be? Yes. What would it be? I really don't know what you would say, and I needed to find out. Oh, oh my God, you're so funny. Well, what would you say? Well, uh, let I, me see if I can guess for you. Okay. Would you want the power to read people's minds? <laughs> I cannot believe you said that. Right. I just changed it to be that. Did you really? That's what I told him. I said, I, I want to be able to read people's minds. I want to know what I know thinking. why, too. Why? Because I feel like you want answers to certain questions <laughs> of like, you want to know what? Yep. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can't believe you guessed it. It used to be invisibility because I hate people and I just want to mm-hmm. walk around without people seeing me. Mm-hmm. What would yours be? Uh, I would say the ability to move from one place to another place, like te- yeah. like teleportation. That's a good Because I do so much driving. Oh, that's I'm sad. over it. I want to snap my fingers and be at the grocery store, snap my fingers and be where I need to be. Wow. And... Yeah. Really? I'd, I'd put way less miles. I'd probably lease rather than own a car. Oh, my gosh. So I feel like the 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 trunk question that we always ask people, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? We could actually say, what's your favorite or what superpower would you choose? Because I think yeah. it has the same effect. It shows where you are in your life. You know, we do this... Uh, uh, this game, I guess you can sort of call it a game or like icebreaker. I work a lot with teens and, and yeah. kids in junior high. And sometimes it's hard to get them to start talking about these things or open up or 
you know, talk about emotions and that stuff. So a nice way to, to kind of get him to do that is I have this big beach ball. And on the beach ball, I write a bunch of questions. And some of them are deeper. Some of them are sillier, like what's your favorite breakfast cereal? And some of them are like a way that I help uh, support others is. And so we throw the beach ball and like you know, stand in a circle and throw the beach ball. And when you catch it, you have to answer whatever question uh, your thumb like lands mm-hmm. on. And that's one of the questions that I have on there is what superpower would you want? Because I feel like just like you said, there's a lot of insight that you that mm-hmm. can give you. When a child, when a teen says, I want to be invisible, yeah. that makes us go, hmm, I wonder what this child feels like they're being ignored for or what, you know, there's there's a reason, there's a deeper reason behind whatever they're answering. Mm-hmm. And so it can help kind of make you as a therapist start asking the right questions about like you know or kind of change maybe how you would you know or what subjects you want to talk to the person about or so yeah yeah I love that. that's sad though that your superpower is just about how you hate commuting so much <laughs> that's really sad <laughs> oh it's totally true you know i hate commuting and then uh you know Susie, i was telling you this but i with for my birthday party I uh, got wonderful gifts from friends, and it was so clear that all my <laughs> friends recognized I was also a woman on the go because everything was like portable. Right, this, <laughs> travel kit. You know, travel kit for lunch, travel this, travel that, you know, things for your, you know, lunch on the go. And I was like, yeah, they even see that I'm, a, I'm not ever in one place long enough to even have a meal. It's so true, so. though, that when you are in that position, if you have the right gear and like equipment, oh. it makes such a difference. Yes, it does. Books on tape, <laughs> super important. Podcasts, <laughs> crucial. You know, lunch on the go, an insulated coffee cup so my coffee stays warm. Yeah. Or water stays cold. Thank you, Susie. For that. <laughs> right? It makes a difference. Like if you have, if you're set up. I have yeah. a weird thing about my car, though. Like, I like sitting in it when <laughs> for no reason. You know what? A lot of... I, I've heard this from a lot of females about, you know, when we talk in any sort of setting, like, like group therapy or whatever, about where, um, where you... You know, like what you need to do to kind of de-stress or what's, what feels good. And the answer I get from so many moms mm-hmm. is... I just like getting in the car and just sitting or driving. Yeah. And maybe it's just being alone and feeling like that place, you know, there's no, you know, you're you're in the car and you're stuck and nobody can ask yeah. you, hey, I need this from you or whatever. You kind of get a moment to yourself where you're, well, so I get that. It almost is like the invisibility superpower because you're in the world and you're out amongst people, but you don't have to deal with the crap. Yeah. Like, as you said, nobody can catcall you. Nobody will try to talk to you usually. You know, you're just in there protected, but you can still see everything. Yes. So weird. Yeah. That is true. And I like how, like, even when it's cold out, it's warm in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. I'm really unpacking No, I'm, I'm with you on this. And then when you have a comfy car, we both have the same car. Yeah. So I feel like we've got a comfy car that that totally Yeah, why are we turning for? into one person? Yeah, no joke. Our clothes are starting to get that too. I'm like, mm, I need those white Rothies real bad in my life. I didn't even think of that, how we have the same car. Yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> what if what you is, weren't? 
<laughs> that would be really weird. Right. That would be that would be really weird. I think that too. There's there's a, a girl at the clinic who who has the cutest fashion sense, and she's so stylish. And uh, every time I see her, I'm like, ooh, I definitely want that outfit. Ooh, I definitely am going to get that. She came over to my house the other night, and uh, she was wearing this adorable pink sweater. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to have to own that. How do you feel about that? And I went (laughs) that night. Well, the next day I went to the store where she bought it, and they were all sold out. And then I went on like a mad internet hunt to find this this sweater. And I bought it, and I came up to her and was like, hope you're okay with me looking exactly like you tomorrow (laughs) or the next week because I already bought it. She's like, oh, my God, it's fine. Well, you're you are funny like that. You always when I walk up to you, you're always like, "What's what brand of those shoes? What like you like to know?" Because then you find it super cheap. You're like a magician that way. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I was telling, I was we were talking about it in the clinic, and and I was talking about you know how cute like this gal is, and like how like you know I step my fashion game up because like she's so cute. And um, the people in the clinic were like, well, yeah, you're, you're stylish too. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to be stylish. Like it's not – it doesn't come naturally to me. Everything that I'm wearing is an exact duplicate of another outfit I've seen. So I have to ask all those questions or I will not know how to dress myself. I'm asking because I don't know. You're and such I'm an like, enigma, How though. do people learn about cute fashion? Like I have friends who just like – it feels like they just know what is – cute and in style and i'm like do they do research on yeah, this but you're do they like look that. at magazines like you'll be like oh yeah i saw on um, burberry's uh you know paris fashion week collection i'm like how did you see that oh my god sometimes maybe it's just that i haven't seen that in a long time so i feel like out of <laughs> yeah, the loop right yeah yeah see that's the kind of research like it's like they're doing research but i don't know where <laughs> and i need to go i need to do research there i bet you a lot of them are real into the blogs yeah, see, I think it's that, you know, because yeah. I, I, I am like that with, um, like, home decor. Yeah. And I feel very confident in being stylish in decorating, but I don't think I feel like it translates to my wardrobe. Like, I have to try so hard for that and, like, think about, you know, I need help where with the house I'm like, oh, it's very easy. This is how I have, like, a vision of what it looks like in my head. Huh. I yeah, am shocked by this information. Not at all. Yeah. I think it also comes from from me having a little bit of body dysmorphia, Aww. which I'll openly discuss. You know, after you were heavy for a long time, you kind of still look in the mirror and see yourself as that. So I have this like, you know, oh, I'm only allowed to wear these certain kinds of clothes. So I tend to pick the exact same thing that kind of like hides me. Oh, man. And it felt like, oh, I'm not, I shouldn't put, put a lot of thought because I've, you know, have these memories of being in like junior high and high school and, um, you know, being larger than the average size Mm. and feeling like you know oh there's no point in even trying anything on nothing fits i'm just gonna stick with the you know overalls i've been wearing you got ripped off growing up in california because you had a skewed sense of what is normal body size (sighs) yeah i sure did (laughs) because in the rest of the country i mean you were never overweight you know what i mean like i mean i what for i i really I was 189 pounds, and I think I was heavier than that at one point because I didn't weigh myself for like four years. Oh, wow. And this was, and I know I was having some like, gastrointestinal problems, and they were doing, uh, you know, like work at the doctor. And I got on the scale, and that's when I was like, oh God, I got to make some changes because hmm. my natural body weight, like I'm usually at like 
140 pounds, 145. And so that was like a big difference. And I was a size uh, 15 when I was in junior high. And oh. yeah, I was definitely, I, I noticed that I was... Yeah, but I mean unhealthy for like my lifestyle yeah. and what my body is used to. Yeah, but you did get ripped off because in a lot of parts of the country that wouldn't even be Yeah. A, you know. That's true. Noticeable. Yeah. Right. Um Yeah, and also like I shouldn't have worried about that. I just grew up in a family that was so concerned with yeah. weight and so, you know, I see all the signs like now hearing stories about my grandfather from who I had no relationship with. He wasn't a good guy. But I hear the stories that my aunt tells me about him, about his eating and him being a really lean man. And I put it together. He kind of had an eating disorder. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this was, those habits were absolutely passed down. Yeah. You know, and I remember being a child and my mom, you know, went during that time where like you said, in many places, I wouldn't be considered overweight. And also, I wish somebody would have been like, this is just your body adjusting and you're you're dealing with hormones and emotional stuff and you're fine and love your body and love how it looks right now or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was, I remember multiple times where I was sitting and my mom would like grab my stomach and like, mm. like, like pinch my chub and would you know, say like, Oh, we got to take care of that or something or, and I hated it. Yeah. It was, you know, it made me feel so bad and that just kind of stuck with me. And now, you know, you get it into your head. Like when somebody says one of those little things, now it's, it's really like every time I sit down, I think about that or, you know, you don't, we can't say those kind of things. I know they really stick with you. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. Just like when my little brother told me I was tone deaf when I was like 10 <laughs> and I stopped singing because of that. And then I like, thanks to you, learned I am not tone deaf. <laughs> and after so I learned crazy. how to play the ukulele, I know I'm not tone deaf. Yeah. Whenever someone is, there is no mistake in it. You're, it's like, wow, that is not close at all to the note. <laughs> <laughs> like you could, you probably couldn't play a uke- an instrument if you were tone deaf, right? That'd be real hard. Yeah, okay. So we're good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Another thing that's fine is stamps.com because yeah, super fine. You you can ship stuff from your house or your office wherever you are without having to go anywhere. You can just print any class of mail, any size, any anything. Print it out, slap it on your package and the mail carrier will pick it up right from where you are. It's perfect for like if you send stuff for like if you resell your stuff or if you have a small business or just like if you're shipping a lot of stuff, it's a no-brainer. And it's such a deal because with Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. And here's my pitch. Okay. It's a no-brainer because you save time and money. And our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. So just try it. See how easy it is and awesome it is, and you will be so happy. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Brain Candy. That's Stamps.com. Enter Brain Candy. Okay. Moving on. Let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Well, do you know about how... um, in China, they have to do, like, there's so many characters in their language uh-huh. that they ha- have to 
basically just write them over and over again just to learn them from a very early age. That's just a part of Chinese education and Chinese culture is like printing out characters over and over and over again and kids hate it. And so this Chinese gal bought a robot that recreated her handwriting. (laughs) Wow. And it did her... I forget the word transcription or whatever it is for her. And then she got caught and her mom like destroyed the robot. But I'm like super into this. Uh, uh, Okay. (laughs) You know, this, this reminds me of the story that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. About the teacher that had that call to action of, hey, if you can get in contact with Katy Perry, I'll give you an A. Okay. How is this like that? Because this child found a workaround. (laughs) For right. the the thing that she was asked to do, which in we could argue was almost smarter and took <laughs> more creativity and thought and ingenuity. Yeah. And good for her. And instead she got punished for it. I wonder if in another country she would have been praised for her ability to, you know. Right. Go against the well, grain and find a creative solution because you, if you come from a collectivistic culture that's like, no, this is the rules, this is how it is, and any um, anybody who you know breaks away from that, it will bring shame to the family, or you know. Well, <clears throat> some people were mad about it and we're like, that's not fair, that's cheating, and other people were like, what? That's so creative. We used to just yeah. rig up like two pencils to be like connected. So that it would double right. So at yeah. least you'd finish in half the time. But Yeah, but that looks so obvious. <laughs> Does I've have you done this? Well oh my god. Yes, because my mom used to punish us with uh having to write things or write things like a hundred times. Yeah. And so I would like if we would so she would give us a spelling test. You know, give me a spelling test and whatever words that I got wrong, I had to like write that word a hundred times or whatever. And so I would come up with like creative ways to try to do it. Like if the word was, you know, I don't know, creative, I would start writing a C on down every single line, like do different techniques. Like maybe if I write a hundred C's and then a hundred R, but that's not any faster. No, it just felt like a loophole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I kind of love that she did that. I do too. I totally, I'm fine. Like, what ifs? <laughs> what ifs? Good I'm, for her. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it's cheating. I guess. Uh, <laughs> fine. Um, I mean, what's the benefit? You know, some of those things. I'm like, why, why, why do they need, you know, are we teaching them something that maybe they don't? I mean, they're going to, I don't know. Right, and sometimes with assignments like that where everybody hates mm-hmm. it but you have to do it, yes. it almost feels like just a rite of passage rather than yes. an effective teaching tool. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and sort of like, oh, I did it so now my kids will have to do it type of thing. Yeah. I feel like that about how doctors have to do 24-hour shifts, you know, in like the ER and stuff. I feel like the doctors... I'm hoping they're changing that. I think maybe they have begun changing it, yeah. but I mean, that's been a tradition for decades. And I wonder if it was that sort of phenomenon where it's like, I did it, so now you're going to suffer. Yes. Oh, totally. Because that just doesn't seem like a smart... Oh my God. We do do that a lot. 
we do as parents, as just humans, bosses, anything. Sort of like, I got through it. Let's see if you can. Yeah. But. Hmm. Whatever. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we have a fun, well, I, we have a guest today and I'm so excited about it. So. Oh, let's hear. <laughs> who's here? <laughs> so, um, Carrie Rawson is the author of my March book club pick, and she wrote the book, A Serial Killer's Daughter, my story of faith, love, and overcoming. She's the daughter of the BTK killer, um, who, if you don't know, is a serial killer who was caught in 2005, who um, had killed uh, people before Carrie was born, but also during her childhood as well, and she did not know. And... I just can't get over her and how impressed I am with her. So really it's not an interview as much as it is me telling her how awesome she is. Love it. Because Love those. Sarah, can you I like know. let's just put ourselves in that position. Tell me can you even conceive of that? Where well, they show oh, up at her door and say, Have you heard of the BTK killer? And she's thinking, has he killed my grandma? Like who Never thinking, I know the BTK killer. Yeah. Uh, what that would do to you in that moment, the trauma of hearing that. Oh, well, I mean, in, in not in all ways, but in a small way, I can relate to the, having a parent who is a monster, mm-hmm. who is, you know, hurt people. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I think about how my brothers reacted and their, they have that, you know, I knew because I was, a, you know, a victim of his. But for my brothers, it was that, what? Oh, my God. Like, I, you know, yeah, I can get that. I can see that. And Well, ugh, I was telling was her how. So I follow her on Twitter, and I know that she receives a lot of really hurtful messages, as you might suspect, um, from people who are angry about what her dad did and maybe feel uh dis- why are they taking it out on why are they she didn't do it i know i think for the same reason they shouldn't take out the things that my dad did on my brothers and me i think that there's a sense of how did you not know i think but that's maybe the whole not po- to- that's the whole piece of the the you know what these guys who are perpetrators do is they're so good at hiding and they're so good at blending in and and keeping it a secret and that's part of the you know. Well, and I, I've read a lot of when I was reading the book. It rang true to me because her dad was similar to how my dad was in terms of oh. just like general demeanor. And mm-hmm. you, growing up in my house, you did not go through my dad's drawers or stuff. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. it's the similar thing. We're like, what do you? Oh. They're not going to go through his stuff. No. Right. If you've, if that's been, oh yeah. my God, I didn't even think about that. Suze, you are so right. If you have that kind of. Yeah. And it's unspoken you know, parent. too. Yes. Ooh. And cause they eventually found, um, a false bottom in their floor where he kept like the mementos oh, and trophies God. from it. So, like, in theory, I suppose somebody could have found it. But I'll tell you what, if we had a false floor in our house somewhere, no one would ever know. Like, that's just not a thing with families like Uh that. Uh Uh-huh. And I can imagine the father being very passive 
for, you know, like people like that tend to be, it's like black, you know, these, these almost like two sides. That's to right. Them, and that's how he describes it. Yes. And I would imagine that she got an, a, a little, and maybe you as a child got this too, a little taste mm-hmm. of the other side. Yes when they pushed that boundary. So like she maybe opened a door she wasn't supposed to and all of a sudden that switch the You're flip, describing they, it exactly. Yes. Yeah. I could I can totally see this. And then that is so terrifying because it doesn't match your, you know, image of who this person is that you never ever want to see that again. So you don't ever do it. Let me um just quickly Dude. take a break before we carry on and I finish my intro of Carrie. Um I just want to tell you about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free, while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Brain Candy Podcast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at braincandy.robinhood.com. So I just wanted to say, first of all, I hope everyone reads A Serial Killer's uh, Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming, because, listen, if you want to hear about the gory details of this, these crimes, you can find that online or elsewhere. But with this book, what you're going to get is what it's like to experience the trauma of, well, a family secret or um, basically she's a victim of him as well. Yes. And I was talking to her about how when... The vic- the real victims, you know, their families, everyone has compassion for them because they're, they're so clearly the victim of this killer. But she's a victim too, but yet there's not as much compassion for her, even though her mm-hmm. life was ruined and she lost everything she thought she knew <clears throat> in just that moment. And so I have a lot of compassion for her and I'm so impressed with how she's staying positive and trying to help other people. Um, yes. But Oh, my God. It's great. And I'm so excited to hear this because I just downloaded the audiobook. <gasps> and I will be listening to this. Oh, as soon I as I get in the car. I wonder if she's the reader. Like, I wonder I think if she's... she is. Is she? Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. So that makes me even more excited because I'm going to get a little taste I mean, of it this right is going to sound crazy, but I... When I was talking to her... I, I think my voice even cracked because I almost started tearing up, which is so selfish. Like, oh, this story's about me. It's obviously not. But I was so moved by her. I think that's great that you, that like, that's good. That, that's, that's connecting. And that's like, you know. I really was. I was just like, yeah. she, I get mad when it's cloudy for too many days in a row. And here oh, she, yeah. like, yeah. trying to overcome what I can't even conceive of. Yes. And, um. So and for the record, she does not narrate it, but I am excited to it's, hear it. You're gonna love it. Yeah, and I couldn't have narrated a book talking about those kind of things. Yeah, she describes it how been triggering like secondary 
victimization, like secondary trauma, if just writing it all down. I saw in another interview where she talked about writing the book and she said she had to ask for an additional 10 month extension because it was so traumatizing. Of course. It it is. Oh my God. Yes. And the more self-aware she becomes, unfortunately, the more traumatizing it could be because you like go to these lengths to kind of keep like compartmentalize that mm-hmm. and as soon as you start to explore that and well kind of you can ooh. totally relate to this okay and and i think everyone can on some level hers is just more extreme but you know that thing where you live your life and let's say you have an impression about your childhood and all that but then you get older and when you look back on it you are looking through a different lens yep yep on new information and experience and wisdom and all that stuff and you see things differently. You might realize yeah. like my dad wasn't that nice or whatever it is. And yeah. her book does such an elegant job of telling the story, but then almost casting this lens on it where it's like she's looking back and rewriting her own timeline of like, yes. we went to Disneyland. It was amazing. Two months later, he killed someone and I didn't know it. And so now oh. she associates Disney yes. with what she knows Murder. now. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so, okay. I can't wait. Okay. I'm so excited. All right. So welcome to the show, Carrie Ross, and please read her book, A Serial Killer's Daughter. And um, don't forget to join our book club too, because we have yes. so much fun in our book club and we do get to have in-depth discussions about our books and we meet every month on, um, uh, what do you call that? Like a live chat and you guys yes. can write your questions and we answer them as we go. It's just really fun. Oh my God. There's laughter. There's tears. <laughs> Every there's time we tears. laugh, we cry. There's definitely wine. It's so much fun. <laughs> but anyway, welcome to the show, Carrie Rawson. All right, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on the show. What an honor. I'm so happy to have you. Um, thanks for having me. And I want to know, first of all, how sick you are of doing these interviews. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I got a break for a few weeks um, after traveling in January and February, but the break was uh, I was too ill to do interviews. I know. That's home. what I saw on Twitter. I'm like, oh, man, she's draining herself. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, the um, I had some um, trauma-wise people contact me quietly and say, yeah. um, I think your body is rebelling. And I was like, you know what? Like, emotionally, I'm feeling okay. And they're like, no, your body knows. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> take our word for it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I know that too. Like I'm yeah. pretty self-aware and, you know, I tell other people and then I very stubborn and don't listen to my own self. So <laughs> yeah, my body completely rebelled. And <laughs> I just kept getting sicker and sicker until I like waved the flag and was like, okay, yeah. no more interviews for a few more weeks. Like I'm sick. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm sure. I really appreciate though that you did write the book and that you're willing to talk to people because I think you're doing such a service. So I appreciate your sacrifice. Um, I'm trying. I mean, uh, I've been through so much. It yeah. feels good on this side to actually have wrote the book because it was, it was brutal to write it and I didn't even know I would be able to complete it. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm getting um, a lot of, I've got an inbox full of people's messages saying, you know, I'm helping them with, mm. you know, past issues that they've had, you know, of, you know, of abuse or trauma in their life or, you know, they have a family member in prison or, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with something. So, um, you know, I just, it feels good to know you're helping people, but it's also hard 
um, seeing all those like messages come in right now. Right, because they they're kind of feeling like you're the ambassador, you're the person that's speaking out, but it takes its toll on you, I'm sure. So I can't even imagine how you're feeling. Yeah, I've got a lot of incoming right now that I'm not sure what to do with. You know, I sort almost have that personal boundary rule of not personally replying just because of, you know, things that have happened in the past where people have replied to me. So, you know, I'm trying to get the word out, you know, to get to therapy or, you know, get to a shelter if you're in a domestic abuse situation or go to the police. But again, like... You can only do so much, though. Yeah, you're only one person. You can only do so much. You know, I've been in therapy, you know, recently, like the last three or four years, you know, and I had therapists say, you know, that's not your job. Yeah. You know, like people come to you because you're public and you're out there, but... Well, you I know, know it I always must just be, try to refer people. So, and you certainly didn't ask to be in this position. So, it's a lot to ask of you to sort of be our a collective therapist for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the training. You know, yeah. Like, it's best to be paired up with somebody. Say, if I was at a conference and have other people come in that are trained. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how to get the word out to people like, you know, go get help, you know, like, like I honestly, I just tweeted it and Facebook, like again, the, the, the hotline numbers for domestic abuse and suicide prevention, you know, but honestly, like, I feel bad that I can't personally reply to everyone, but also it takes a toll on me too. So I, I really have no idea how like therapists do it. <laughs> Me neither. My uh, <laughs> my co-host on the show has her master's in family uh, therapy, and I'm always like, I do not envy you. That is a tough job. Yeah, I have no idea how they separate, you know, their own lives from everyone else's lives. <laughs> They're doing the Lord's but, work. That's all I know. Um, they have the strictest boundaries of anybody I know, too. So <laughs> you you should ha- adopt their their viewpoint in that way too because otherwise you're going to get depleted don't you think oh yeah i mean i yeah i i it definitely the problem is like people are saying like you know why don't you get a social media man or why don't you get a get you know an assistant to screen through your emails and we might be i might be getting to that point but you know, even just to screen them, it wears on you because you have to read the ba- the hard messages or, you know, you can't reply or, you know, the trolls. You still have to screen through it. Somebody does. So, you know, people are like, don't let it affect you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> if I read it, it's still it still affects me, you know. Yeah. Even if I file it away pretty quick. Yeah, so it can't I, not. You're a human being. Right. Well, tell me about the actual process of writing because to me that would be so daunting just approaching this project um did you when you dived into it did you feel like you already knew what story you wanted to tell um you know I was wrestling even if I had the right to write the story Mm -hmm. you know early on I was having conversations um with my literary agent who's just been amazing his name's Doug Grad um you know like what what can I bring to this or what can I tell or what do I have the right to talk about, you know? And 
you know, he's always been incredibly supportive and say, you know, this is your story and, yeah. and you can write it. You know, I think I really struggled with my father's crimes and where do I even put them in the book and to what level do I write them? You know, I honestly didn't even know where to put them really until edits. My whole first part where you see my dad's crimes up against my life or after I yeah. was bored, that actually came out in edits. Um, I had had you know, some information there um, at his trial where, when it had come out. But my editor said, you know, I think we need to put something up front. So we completely imploded my first part that I had oh in draft. And, and I rewrote, I mean, I wrote like six or seven new chapters and edits. And that was after copy edits. <laughs> so <laughs> then we had to kind of go back and clean that up a little bit. Um but, yeah, I mean, sometimes with writing, you just don't even know what you're going to say or where you're going to say it. <laughs> right. It's just a blank page staring at the you. End. Well, right. I mean, I didn't, but like some of that faith came out when I was writing. I realized, you know, um, you know, that God had been with, been with me throughout the whole thing. Yeah. You know, there were things I felt like from a faith aspect that he, God wanted me to see that I didn't hmm. see till I sat down and wrote. You know, I was really moved by your book, as I'm sure everyone is, in part because you did such a beautiful job of showing how this situation has changed how you even processed your own memories and the timeline of your own life. And I was so impressed with the elegance of how you described your story and then you almost like put it through the lens of this new information after they visit your house and break the news to you. Is that how you feel about your life? It's almost like a before and after? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm notorious for talking before and after. I mean, I tried, yeah. it's hard with writing to show that repetitiveness. I mean, some people, you know, I've even reviewed it lower because they're like, well, she repeats herself. And I'm like, well, everybody oh. I know that's experienced trauma repeats themselves yes. all the time. <laughs> like, like it's called, I call it trauma brain. Like I, it's hard to show in writing, you know, when you have a loop stuck in your head for two months, two years for with PTSD. I mean, obviously you can't write it for two years, you know, yeah. but like I tried to show what it's like to go into therapy two years later and be back you know, two years before in this, in this horrific moment of your life. Um, I, yeah, everything since the rest, it's before the rest, after the rest. I mean, my mm. family still does it. My mom, you know, we say before, after we don't even have to say what before or what after, mm. or, you know, before dad, after dad, I tried to show that, you know, at the one year anniversary, you know, these, these marks of time, I still feel now, you know, I, I felt the anniversary this year even. So I definitely think in like, the before and the after of his arrest and then you know it, it took a long time to reconcile what my father did you know seven of his murders were before I was born and three were after when I was little so you're trying to reconcile this yeah. life that you're finding out about as a young adult with the life you had or the life you've been told about and it, it takes a long time to piece that together um, so I, you know I tried to show that in the book that you know, these things are happening here in this timeline, but I didn't know about them until, you know, 30 years later. Right. And I, I don't know why anyone would be critical of that because I thought it was such a powerful rhetorical device that you used where you can help the reader understand what's going on in your brain, which is so impressive that you were able to accomplish that. I imagine, though, 
just the writing process was also very draining and triggering. Is that the right word? That you yeah. Uh, I mean, so when I started, I ended my book in 2012, but when I started speaking up in the media in 14, um, I did this long piece where I worked with the Wichita Eagle in um, Kansas, my hometown paper for several weeks. And that ran um, near the anniversary in 2015. And um, when that large piece came out, um, it got a lot of good reception. It was helping a lot of people. But, you know, I I basically imploded after mm-hmm. that ran and ended up back at the same trauma therapist I had seen in 07 that I write about. So I spent another six months with her because <clears throat> I couldn't sleep. I was having really bad night terrors. And I went in and told her what, you know, everything that had happened. And she said, you know, she goes, I think you've kind of just unpacked everything that was haphazardly stored in your head. Mm. She's like, if you think of a file cabinet, she's like, you had just stuffed all this stuff (laughs) in there. (laughs) And she's like, now you've just sort of thrown it all up. You've just dug in there, dumped it all out, told the world. Yeah. And you haven't done it with the right support system completely in place. So she said, now we're going to go take everything you've haphazardly pulled out and we're going to go file it like neatly for the first time. My gosh. (laughs) It's so powerful. Yeah. And so, I, you know, you're like, okay, I realize (laughs) what I've done now. And now you're spending like six months weekly in intense trauma therapy trying to fix (laughs) Trying to arrange the files. Right. arrange, Arrange 30 years of. Well, oh you know, God. at that point, 40, 40 years of memories. And so I actually took the Wichita Eagle book in about my father. Um, it, it was published in 07 by four journalists who had covered the case and knew it very well. And they actually worked with the Wichita police on it. So it's it's completely vetted. And I, I wrote about that book in my book. I had even thrown away my hard copy of it. And I had so I had to go back to Amazon and buy another paper back <laughs> of it. You keep. I remember in I the book, right? It. Yeah. So, and I also have it on Kindle because I needed it for research for writing. So I own, you know. And then somebody gave me a first edition hard copy. So now oh I have like God. two copies of that thing. I can't get rid of it. <laughs> so I, yeah, I took I took it into therapy, and we worked line by line through my father's oh, um, wow. crimes for <sighs> months, um, so that I could finally come to terms with it and process it. Um, I, I couldn't have even wrote to the level that I did if I hadn't done that. I needed to go deal with it personally in a safe space, you know, where you can you can yell and be mad or cry or just process what you need to process. And then and then I was finally able to sit down and write what I wrote. Do you um, feel like you're in a no win situation where no matter how you handle it, people are going to be critical? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my husband tries to remind me. He's like, you're not going to win everybody over. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. You know, you know, he's like, he reminds me, like, not everyone likes J.K. Rowling and not everyone likes Harry Potter, you know. So, like, he tries to remind me of these giants in in writing and literature. I mean, he also tries to remind me that, like, people are angry. He thinks they're they're mainly angry at my father, especially people back in Kansas. Mm you know, for what he put the families through and my family and the community. And they're just, they're kind of directing it at me because they don't have anywhere else to direct it at. That is exactly what I have written down that it, for me, feels like anger displacement that Mm -hmm. it, you're in such a bizarre position where like 
the victims' families, everyone's compassionate towards them. But for your family, you're victims as well, but some people aren't compassionate and almost like put you in the same category as the person that committed the crimes. Is that how it feels for you? Um, it does. I yeah. mean, it's there's only a small element that hits me in that way, but they hurt. I mean, yeah. they just seem to know how to hit. Um, you know, and piece, people are saying, well, that's just the basement troll, like yeah. some guy living in his in, in his mom's basement. And I'm like, that might be the case. But sometimes you go look at these people's accounts and they're legit like people's grandmothers. Oh, my God. You know, like one of the worst that hit me, she, you know, like her account is legit. Like she's somebody's gr- retired grandmother in Arizona. And I was like wow, that really hurts, Aww. you know, like, I'm just going to delete your 10 messages you spent an hour on overnight <sighs> hitting me with, but, you know, I've, I've been trying to respond a little on social media. I try not to, you know, post what somebody says. We, you know, we, yeah. we delete and we ban and we block. We also screenshot because, yes, I mean, the reality is like, I might need to contact law enforcement. So, I mean, I don't think people realize they're, they're cyber bullying you you yeah. know and i i don't think these people would say this to your face if they actually knew you so i'm i'm not sure what that is right now in society but you know i get upset about it my my husband tries to remind me where it's coming from or you know somebody is not stable themselves yeah so well and it's not whatever it is it's not about you even though it's directed towards you and it's it's such a shame, and I'm sorry you have to deal with it. And I'm so impressed with how you try to stay positive and have grace and ha- have a message of hope. And that's what I just want to thank you for because you're such a great example of, like, a person that can turn something really painful into something positive. Um, I'm sure it's a struggle, but I, I just th- want to say that that's really impressive and amazing. Um, yeah. Thanks. I, it's, it's been a long process to get here to be able to talk yeah. openly about it and to still be functioning. And, um, you know, I just try to keep myself grounded and, you know, focus on my day to day and then deal with things as they come. And, Was there you know, a particular moment where you thought, you know what, I'm ready to share this story or what, what was that like in your brain where you're like, okay, let's do this? I, I think... I think it was small steps. Uh, you know, I tried to show there and there the end of the book of, of, you know, in my church community of trying to share with people. Yeah. Trying, you have to learn how to share and not just drop this massive bombshell that is your father. <laughs> right, you know, so right. you try to find like the safe people, you know, the girlfriend you can share over a glass of wine, you know, as yeah. you're hanging out or, you know, a small group of community or, you know, you trust. I mean, you don't always get it right. Even now, I don't always get it right you know, when I'm talking or sharing, um, I think, you know, at the end of the book, I show, you know, when I started speaking publicly, that was difficult, but I like, as soon as you see that positive impact of people being affected, mm. you know, and, and turning around and going to help or, you know, you know, I've, I've helped a couple of people, you know, with some domestic situations, pretty serious ones. So, you know, when you know you are helping people, something you're saying is resonating with them. You you know, you sort of get that push to keep going, even though it's difficult. I think when I hit the media in 14, I just sort of exploded and 
wrote an editorial and then blew up on the phone with a journalist. You know, I was not <laughs> thinking at all that I was news and I oh, ended wow. up on the front page like internationally overnight. Well, what is that? What do you think about the fact that people are so intrigued by true crime, et cetera? Is that, uh, do you think that that's disturbing or what are your thoughts? You know, I'm, I think, I think it's just because it, uh, it's such a human element and it's so common. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at like abuse t- statistics, what one in four women and one in six men have been assaulted or, you know, worse. So, like, I mean, it's so common to have lived in a domestic situ- domestic abuse situation or be assaulted or raped. I mean, I just don't think people talk about what they've personally been through and mm-hmm. then crime. I mean, if it hasn't personally, if you haven't known someone or lost someone to crime, you know, you usually know somebody that's committed one or, and if not that, then, you know, it's in your news every day. So, I mean, I think it's just so prevalent right Mm -hmm. now in our society. I mean, maybe it always has been. It's just, I don't know if we're more violent now or we just, you know, talk about it more or there's more news that covers it. You know, I'm not sure what what it is. Were Um, you ever one of those people that was interested in it before? um, I was more, I'm more of a fiction reader. I mean, I... So, like, I used to read, like, Stephen King with my dad and other, like, you know, detective books and Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and, you know, more modern ones. Um, So, I mean, I grew up on kind of, like, that red and black cover, you know, crime fiction books. You know, I would share them with my father. Um, You know, I never really, like... I never really looked at it in from the true crime perspective, you know, honestly, like the first true crime books I read were about my own dad. Oh my God. So, you know, I think sometimes I'm getting some blowback because, you know, the true crimers were hoping for like a really, a really intense true crime book for me. But I'm like, that's, that's not what this is. This is a memoir. You know, you're going to get everything. You're going to get some true crime. You're going to get faith. You're going to get, like the good relationship I had with my dad and then Mm -hmm. everything that happened, you know, you're not like, I, like, I don't consider my book true crime, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's getting filed there in the bookstores. I don't have any control over that. Right. So like, I didn't have control over the cover or the title. So, you know, I would just hope people would approach it with an open mind and realize that it's, it's a memoir through my eyes, you know, Tell me what it's like to mourn someone who's still alive. I mean, I didn't even realize early on I was, you know, grieving or mourning the loss of this man. Some of that you don't even really see until hindsight or even sitting down to write and realize, like, you know, when my family gathered together for safety that first week after my dad's arrest, it actually did feel like we had gathered for a wake or a funeral Wow. You know, because we've we've gathered since then for family funerals and it has that sort of same feeling. There's just not that in, in goodbye or that, um, you know, tradition you have of, of, of a funeral. So in a way, you kind of went through the same rituals that anybody. Right. Yeah. It's the same I kind mean, of you, feeling. 
yeah, you have those same emergency phone calls going back wow. and forth all over through the family and trying to make sense of what's going on, you know, and then and then you're you're traveling, you're trying to get plane tickets and travel and be together and then you're just sitting together trying to manage things. And you're hiding from the media. <laughs> That's a, right. an element so most now of us you're don't hiding to... from the media and you're yeah. trying to process, you know, you have a lot of incoming phone calls and a lot of confusion. And, you, you know, you're gathered with, you like, your closest people, so you're trying to make sense of things together, but you also know everybody has their limits. And so I tried to show, like, you know, letting my mom have space or her letting me have space or my grandma buying me a Harry Potter book so I could escape. Right. You know, my granddad's in the newspaper. Like, we all just have our ways of escaping, even in a, you know, as a family. So just just being there and gathered together was a huge um a huge step in my healing and, you know, is what lifted my initial physical shock that I had been in for several days. When you um, put the book together, one of the bigger sections is about a trip you guys took to the Grand Canyon. I was wondering why you chose that story as um, something that you thought was really important to include. Um, I think because, I mean, I wanted... I wanted people to see my relationship with my dad in a natural setting. Mm -hmm. And I knew that story, like, I knew that was an interesting way in a long form, compelling way to show him and I, you know, also in a situation where, you know, he basically was way, he had made poor decisions and got my family in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, all of us could have lost our lives down there. My cousin, my brother, me, my dad. You know, here, here's me. I'm a, I'm a young adult. I'm 19. I'm trusting my dad with my life. I assume because he's researched and read and, you know, right. he says he knows what he's doing. Like, I always just trusted him no matter what we were doing, you know. And then I quickly realized when we got down there on this really rough trail that, you know, my dad was way in above his abilities and I was above my abilities. But you also just keep thinking it's going to get better and you don't want to turn around, you know? And so for me, I actually, that, that part, I actually wrote first hmm. um, because I needed a safe place. I needed a yeah. safe place to learn how to write. Hmm. And I like to do dialogue and I needed a place where I, I had to go force myself to remember what my dad looked like. I had to go hmm. get photos and, look at his clothing and his and what he wore and I had to force myself to find my dad again because I was still stuck in like dad was BTK mm. and I don't you know I didn't want to think about like you don't want to think about how your dad sounds and how he moves yeah after you find out what he was capable of and so you to write though you have to go find that person and think about what they look like and you know and so you know, I had to almost get over my fear of my father as BTK and go back to just find my dad. Mm. Wow, that's very powerful. And I mean, that, that's why you see that so much in the first half of the book. Hmm. I mean, that's just me trying to hold on to the guy I knew because I, I wanted people to see what I had experienced and know, knew so that they could see and feel the loss of it. Well, you did a fantastic job and. Even though your circumstances are so extreme, I think everyone knows that feeling, realizing their parents are not perfect and life is very complicated and messy and 
you've handled everything so beautifully and I'm sure it doesn't always feel like that to you but I just want to congratulate you both on writing the book and also um, being such a inspiration for so many people um, we always ask one last question to uh, all of our guests because we believe that what you keep in the trunk of your car can tell us where you are in your life so Carrie Rawson what do you <laughs> keep in the trunk of your car if you have a car um, so we've got clothes for the kids because uh, my kids are, um, um, they just have birthdays. So they're 11 and eight. Mm. Um, so we have extra clothes for them just in case you, yeah. know, you always need extra <laughs> stuff for your kids. Yes. Um, and then there's like the snow, um, the snow broom to get the snow off the top of the small SUV. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a spare tire back there. I think there's some. I think there's some of my husband's hockey gear right now. Um, he goes and plays pickup hockey. Oh, my God. This is such a good trunk. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's about what's <laughs> back there right now. You guys are <laughs> ready for that, anything. Yeah, there's stuff rattling around back there, I promise you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my hope for you. Um, I loved your book. I know our listeners are going to love your book. I just hope you keep writing. I want to read other stuff because you're a beautiful uh-huh. writer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. Like, like I, I definitely want to go right. It's just so hard, yeah. you know, and it takes so long. And then you're like, do I even have anything yeah. left in me to say? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do it now. I'm sure you're tired and drained, but you know, maybe. You no, like I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I fell in love with writing. I mean, the idea would be to just like, like completely go down in life and be a hermit and go live in a cabin, <laughs> Don't do you it. know, and like write my guts out. That's sort of that <laughs> dream. And, but then reality is like, no, you have to, you have to stay engaged in the public life. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can do a compromise, you know, just check in with us every once in a while and right. we'll be happy. <laughs> but uh, we're all cheering you on and I really hope you feel supported because there's a lot of people out here that are rooting for you and are really impressed and amazed by you. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel the support and love. Um, I, I hope people know that I do you know, I try to read as much as I can of people's positive messages. And it it does mean the world to me after everything I've gone through. You know, I just, I get mad about the trolls. So that's when I get mouthy. So (laughs) I like a little sass. I I don't think there's there's a lot of sass in here. It tries to like stay in control, but it it comes out occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) I support that. As you know, I'm sassy too. So I like a sassy gal, but um, thank you again, and I hope everyone reads your book and that you um, get nothing but praise and accolades forever. Um, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah, you're off the hook, and I'll let you know when we post it. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.